ready to begin. If you'd like to come in and find a seat, welcome everyone again. My name is Alan Dice. I'm one of the pastors here at Newport Church. Uh, an announcement we missed earlier is don't forget after the service there is choir practice and bell, bell practice back in town hall. So if you're part of that, don't forget practices are happening after, uh, after the service here today. We kicked off a new sermon theme last Sunday. Pastor Merle kicked it off called God's Unfolding Plan. And uh, we're, we're beginning to talk about going into the Christmas season and the, the plan that, that God had for all of mankind and the plan that God had for all of, all of creation. And as we heard with the Advent candles burning here in front of me this morning, that the Advent season is a season of anticipation. Any of you looking forward to something? Excited about something that's coming? Yeah. Some of you are. Advent is a season of anticipation. Looking forward to something. Waiting for something. What are you hoping for? What are you expecting? What are you looking forward to this morning? And so we're, we're, we're kicking off this uh, God's own folding plan. If you missed Pastor Merle's uh, teaching last Sunday that really began this whole, this whole part, be sure to go on the church website. You can see the, uh, the video and the audio or hear the audio of uh, each, each sermon's teaching. So we're at God's unfolding plan part two this morning. And if you're following along in your notes, if you didn't get notes, there are notes on the back table. You can uh, pick some up. You can run back there now if you want and get some exercise. Uh, so they're uh, December 9th, God's Unfolding Plan Part 2. They're on the back table there. If you didn't get uh, notes, you can, uh, you can get one here this morning. God's Unfolding Plan is that uh, God keeps revealing himself to his people. And all the Bible is the story of God's unfolding plan. And, and if you read a novel, if you read a, a, a book, you usually want to know, or you see a play, you usually want to know who is the central character of this play, or who is the central character of this, of this book. And so if you look at the Bible... We can, we can see as we read through the Bible that the central character, the main character of all the Bible is Jesus. Because all the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus and all the New Testament is expanding and, and explaining and, and uh, talking about uh, what Jesus taught and what Jesus did and, and explaining Jesus himself as a, as a person and as God the Son. So all the Bible is the story of God's unfolding plan. And the part we're talking about this morning in the Old Testament, pointing forward, is that something wonderful is coming. Something is coming that is, is going to be earth-shattering. It's going to be exciting. And that God has a wonderful plan in place that will impact the whole world, all the people, and not only people, but God's plan impacts the whole universe. God's plan impacts the furthest galaxies in, in the universe. Any people who like astronomy here? I like astronomy. 
Yeah, we got some astronomers here. And, and you, you like to look at the night sky and say, that is Mars. I got this app on my phone now where, you, you know, the night sky app where you hold it up to the sky and it tells you the name of that star, tells you the name of that planet. All right. Some of you are, are geeky people like me who, who love to do that kind of stuff and see, see uh, the, the names of the, of the stars. So God's plan impacts the whole universe, all of creation, to the furthest galaxies, to the furthest supernovas in, 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 the, in the universe. All of creation is impacted and changed by God's plan, God's unfolding plan. And for us here in 2018, this is both past, looking back at past history to what happened in the Old Testament, but it's also looking forward to the future of what God's plan is going to accomplish in the future. So God's plan isn't finished yet. It's still developing. It's still unfolding. It's still moving forward. It's still progressing. And, and God wants to, uh, so these are some of the main points I want you to get here this morning, is that God wants to show himself to you here personally today, Elm, Pennsylvania, December 9th, 2018, God wants to show you personally, he wants to show himself to you in a, in a real and personal way, and he wants your relationship with him, his relationship with you to grow deeper and stronger, and, and God has next steps for you. And so God has not only a plan for all of creation, all the universe, but God has plans for you, and God has next steps for you, so it's God's unfolding plan in many layers and many different in many different pieces. So when uh, I think we already uh, covered a lot of this last week, but but let's let's just review this again. When did God's plan originate? And this was all the way back in the Garden of Eden. God Himself first announced the clues to what was coming. Genesis chapter three, uh, where uh, God Himself prophetically announces, God spoke prophetically and said to Adam and Eve that a descendant of yours is going to be born, Adam and Eve, who's going to crush the head of, of Satan. So, so Satan had appeared in the Garden of Eden as a, as a serpent, as a snake. And, and the Bible says, God says that a descendant of Adam and Eve was going to crush Satan's head. And, and God had a plan. He was putting this into motion. But the Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 1, that, that this plan was around even before the creation of the world. 1 Peter 1 says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So this wasn't just something that God came up with on the fly. It wasn't just uh, sitting down one day and saying, oh, we've got a problem. Uh, I've got to come up with a solution to this. No, God had this in mind before, long before creation. And God had this in mind and, and only began revealing it to, to people uh, when, when there were people to, to whom it could be revealed. So no matter what Satan did to try to stop God's plan, I think um, we, we read different places in, in Scripture where God tries to stop God's plan. God, um, Satan, try, Satan tries to stop God's plan. Satan uh, 
For example, in, in Exodus, the Egyptians were trying to stop the Israelites from, from growing as a large nation, and, and the Egyptians decided, well, let's, let's uh, kill all the boy babies in, of the Israelites, and that will stop them from growing as a nation. I believe that that was one of the plots of, of Satan to stop God's plan from going forward. And it's interesting how history repeats itself because we get to the Christmas story and we get to uh, King Herod hearing about uh, a, uh, possibly a Messiah being born. And maybe it was around in, in Bethlehem. And what does King Herod do? The exact same thing. He, he announces that all the boy babies in Bethlehem are going to be killed. And, and I believe that these were, these were uh, plans and plots of, of Satan to stop God's plan from going forward. But guess what? God's plans always move forward. God isn't going to be stopped by the Egyptians. God isn't going to be stopped by King Herod. God isn't going to be stopped by these plans and plots. He, his plans are going to go forward. So uh, the Bible says that, that God's plan was, was in place before the creation of the world. No matter what Satan did to try to stop it, God's plans keep going forward. They keep going forward today. They keep going forward in the future. God's plans for you will keep, will keep moving ahead. And, and uh, it's really up to us to hear what, what God has for us and, and then to, to live our lives in sync with God's plans. So we heard God's unfolding plan. When did the plan originate? How did God proceed with this plan? So... We read in the Old Testament that God chose a man. He chose Abraham. And, and to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a nation, and through you, all the nations of earth are going to be blessed. And then God chose a family, which was Abraham's family. It was Abraham, Isaac, his son Isaac, and then his grandson Jacob. And, and to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to this family, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And that God chose a people, the Israelites, through whom he intended to bless the whole world. And then God chose a certain part of the Israelite nation, part of that family. Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, he chose one tribe, the, the tribe of Judah. And so this... this uh, coming person, this coming deliverer, this coming king was to be a, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Isaac, a descendant of, of Jacob, a descendant of Judah. And the Bible says this is to be a savior, a deliverer, a Messiah would come from this family. And then God continues to reveal himself and his plan through history, down through the Old Testament. God continues to reveal himself and his plan. And I found it really interesting in, in the early Old Testament, the, the story of Moses, that God's people were worshiping God, but they didn't know what to call him. It's like they didn't know his name. And, and we have the story in Exodus where Moses meets with God at, at a burning bush. The bush was burning, uh, but wasn't burned up. And, and this uh, caused Moses to come over and see what was going on with this bush that's burning. And God speaks to him out of this burning bush. And, and, and God 
says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And, it, and the Bible says that this Moses hid his face because he was afraid, afraid to look at God. And God says, now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said, you know, he didn't know God's name. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is who you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So Moses didn't even know God's name. We've been worshiping this God for 400 years, 500 years, but we don't even know you, God, or we don't know what your name is. And so we have this up-close personal encounter between Moses and God. It was like their, their first personal introduction. Hi, I'm Moses. Hi, I'm God. It was the, like, like Moses and God are finally talking to each other, you know, like almost face to face. And God finally reveals to, to Moses, my name is I am. I wonder if you can remember the first time you were introduced to God, like face to face. The first time you were introduced to God. The first time you had a personal encounter with God. Can you remember the time when God became more than just, just a word, but became a person, a friend, a relationship? When did God become that for you? God tells Moses his name is I Am. What a strange name. Why does God choose, choose the name I Am? First of all, I am shows that God exists. You say, well, that's all right. That's pretty obvious. God exists. Yes, I know that. As Francis Schaeffer uh, writes, God is there. But, but you stop and think about that. God exists. And you realize that that is one of the traits of God that we don't have. Because God is what we call a trait of God is that God is self-existent. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anyone to exist. What are things that we need to exist? Well, it'd be good to have some water. What else? Food. Food. <laughs> Food's good. Yeah, yeah. What else do we need to exist? Shelter, air. What else? Clothing. It's good that our earth is, is, you know, in its orbit. The sun is here, and, our, and our, our, our planet is here. And if we were out here, we'd be really what? Cold. And if we were over here, we'd be really what? Hot. So we're right there. God put us right there, so we just have the right temperature. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I wrote down gravity, too. I mean, I guess we could exist without gravity, right? I mean, it'd be sort of un, inconvenient, right, to be floating around all the time. But, uh, but we need all these things to exist. And in fact, each of us needed parents, right? I mean, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for parents, right? Uh, something had to happen there, you know, okay. Uh, so, so uh, you know, we, we exist because of all these things that happen and because of all this environment and all these pieces that are in place. But guess what? God doesn't need any of those. God doesn't need air. God doesn't need food. God doesn't need gravity. God doesn't need hot or cold. He doesn't need any of that. He is self-existent. He exists out of his, himself, out of his own power. God exists. And to acknowledge that God exists is one thing. To acknowledge that God exists and then, and then have that impact and change your life is something totally different. Because lots of people just like sort of believe, yeah, yep, I believe there's a God, but it doesn't change, doesn't change your life. One, one writer wrote it like this, uh, suppose um, that you were invited to, to the White House. To, to meet the president, and, and you enter the, the green room in, in the White House, and, and the president is sitting there by the fireplace, and, and yeah, you know he's there, and you, you walk right by him without really even looking at him or, or give, saying hello, and the whole evening, you neither look at the president or you, you don't speak to him or thank him and inquire why he called you together. But every time one reporter asks if you believe in the existence of the president, you say, well, of course I believe in the existence of the president. You even agree that this is his house. This is the White House. You, you agree that, that all his food, all the food you ate came from the president's kitchen. But you ignore him and you pay him no regard. Practically speaking, you act as if you don't believe he exists. You ignore him. He has no place in in the affections of your heart. His gifts, not himself, are the center of your attention. And, and I believe that, that lots of people treat God that way. They believe in God. Yeah, I believe that there's a God, but it doesn't make a, a, a change or an impact in your life. It's, it's sort of like uh, chemistry class in high school. Um, what's the first element on the periodic table? Hydrogen. Yeah, I knew someone would know that. Hydrogen, the first element on the periodic table. And, and you know, there's hydrogen in our atmosphere, right? We're breathing it. You know, it, it's here. There's oxygen, hydrogen, all these, all these, uh, all these elements that... Uh, and so, uh, like, you know, like lots of people treat God sort of like hydrogen, you know. We know it's here. We believe that hydrogen is, is here in our air, and, and we're, we, we know we're, we're breathing it, but I don't really stop to think about hydrogen very often. Do you stop to think about breathing hydrogen very often? No, I don't either. Uh, but I believe that, that lots of people treat God that way. It's like, yeah, I know there's hydrogen. Yeah, I know there's a God, but it really doesn't have an impact on me or, or my life. And so, uh, the, the point, point of it all is, is, you know, where God says, I am. 
and that he exists, but his existence means that, that we should somehow respond in our lives to him and not just say, yep, yep, I believe there's a God, but, but it has no, no impact on our lives. And, and so uh, the first thing that, that God gives, uh, God tells Moses is that I've got a mission for you and, and I'm sending you back to Egypt where you ran away from and I'm sending you back there and I'm telling you to confront Pharaoh and lead my people out of Egypt. And, and Moses quicked in his shoes and says, I can't, I can't talk. I, don't send me. I don't want to go. And God had next steps. God always has next steps for his people. And, and God had a next step for, uh, for Moses there in, in sending him back. So God introduces himself to Moses and gives his name, I Am. When we come into God's presence, when we acknowledge there is a God, we need to take that next step and, and realize that this needs to impact my life today personally. God's people in the Old Testament end up trusting in Him, believing in Him, but they fall away. As you read through the, the history of the Old Testament, they fall away. They start worshiping not God, or not just God, but they start worshiping other, other gods, other idols. They were conquered by other nations as a result. And, and God sends prophets to warn His people and also to promise that He was sending a deliverer, a redeemer, a Messiah, someone who would save them. Who was this Savior or Redeemer? Anyone ever work on a big jigsaw puzzle? I like jigsaw puzzles. Where do you start with a jigsaw puzzle? The edges, the corner. Yeah, you start with the corners, and you work on the edges, and then you start filling in. There we go. Yeah. You start, you start filling in. You do the edges, the corners, and then you start filling in, and, and gradually, piece by piece, the picture starts to take shape, doesn't it? You start to see, oh, now I can see. Well, you look at the cover, and that's what it's supposed to look like. But, but now, uh, really, I want, I want uh, uh, my puzzle to look like that, that picture on the, on the cover. So God sends prophets to warn his people, and, and he begins to give, give uh, messages about what's coming. God reveals himself, and God reveals his plan bit by bit, piece by piece, part by part, just like that jigsaw puzzle. He gives clues about who and what is, is coming uh, through what he said, through what God said, what God promised. Piece by piece, it became clearer and clearer throughout history about what God was doing. And we discover that God planned all along to send a Messiah, a deliverer, his son Jesus, to be our Savior. So let's, let's look at this uh, in more detail. How did God speak in that time? Through his prophets who heard God's voice, who wrote it down, who proclaimed it. And, and actually, uh, what happened to most of the Old Testament prophets who proclaimed God's voice? They got killed. They, they were persecuted. They were stoned. They were, you know, all kinds of horrible things happened to them because people didn't like what they were saying. And, and most of God's prophets were proclaiming, look, God's judgment, God's punishment is coming unless you get your lives straight, unless you turn uh, your direction, uh, you're, you're going to 
face God's, God's punishment. And people didn't like to hear that. And so they stoned the prophets and, and killed them and persecuted them. But, but we look at, at some of what the prophets said looking forward in God's plan. And, and we look at Isaiah, we look at Micah, we look at, at uh, Zechariah, um, and, and we hear and see what God was saying about his plan going forward. First of all, Isaiah chapter, chapter 7. This was, this was uh, you know, one of the prophecies that happened 700 years before Jesus was born. And, and it was Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, saying Jesus was going to be born of a virgin. The, the Lord himself will give a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So it's 2018 now. Uh, so 700 years before now would be what? 700 years. 2018 minus 700. 13. 18. So the year 1318, 700 years from back from today, imagine someone writing about you and, and prophesying what your life was going to be like and, and who your parents were going to be and where you were going to be born and all that. 700 years, 700 years uh, before it actually happened, God was giving hints and clues and pieces of the puzzle and telling his people what was coming, that... that uh, a, a savior, a deliverer was coming. He was to be uh, born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Another said, this was also 700 years before Jesus. Uh, Micah says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be a ruler of, of, uh, uh, over Israel. Isaiah, again, chapter 40, pro, uh, prophesies that, that John the Baptist would come ahead of Jesus in the wilderness Make straight, uh, they're going to be a voice of one calling. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9, that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. This was 500 years before Jesus was born. And that Jesus would, would suffer and be betrayed and rejected. This is all in the Old Testament, all pieces of the puzzle saying that, that a deliverer, a savior, a Messiah is coming. And, and uh, this is what he's going to be like. This is who he's going to be like. Jesus would be Zechariah chapter uh, 12. It says, they will look on me, the one they have pierced. So, so as Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember the, the soldier took the spear and pierced him. And, and that uh, Isaiah 53 and verse 6, this is one of, I think, mo- one of the most important verses of the Bible because it explains our, our salvation. Jesus would die for the sins of the world. In some churches, uh, when, when Scripture is read, uh, people, would, people would stand up for the reading of Scripture. And I'm not going to make you do that this morning because I've got Scripture all the way through and you'd be jumping up and down all the way through. But this Scripture is so important, I would like you to stand up this morning and I'd like for us to read this Scripture together. Ready? Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can be seated. But what does that mean? That means that when Jesus was there dying on the cross, that, that God took all of our sins. Can you think of maybe one or two sins that you've done? Maybe more. And, and God took those sins 
that you've committed, that I've committed, and that God laid on Jesus those sins. Laid on Him those sins. The Lord laid on Him. That Jesus suffered and died because of our, our sins here in Elm, Pennsylvania in 2018. We are like the sheep who've, who've wandered away from God. And, and we've, we've gone our own way. And the Lord, God the Father, laid on Jesus the punishment for our, our sins. Stop to think about that. Isaiah 53 also prophesied that, that he, Jesus, would die with wicked people, the two thieves on the cross, and be buried with the rich in Joseph's tomb. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And that Jesus also, Daniel, the prophet Daniel chapter 7, that Jesus would be a king whose rule and reign would last forever. It would never stop. Daniel 7 says, There came one like a son of man. That was, that was the uh, sort of the nickname that Jesus took on himself, the son of man. And, and there, there came like, uh, came from Daniel chapter 7. There came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days, the God the Father, and was presented before him. To him, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. He has an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel lived 600 years before Jesus. Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, lists 61 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that point forward to, G- to Jesus, point forward to him as, as a Messiah. 61 specific prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. These are uh, just a few of them here. People who are not Christians might object and say, well, Jesus, you know, he just sort of engineered his life to fulfill prophecy that he was already aware of. Like, okay, uh, he knew that Isaiah said he'd be, he'd be coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, so he went and got a donkey, and he, he made sure that he worked out his life to, to fulfill those prophecies. Well, first of all, this assumes that Jesus is a liar and a deceiver, and it really makes no sense when you consider all of Jesus' life. And secondly, there are lots of prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus over which Jesus had no power, like such as when and how he was born. All right, he, he had no, no way of engineering when and how he was born. Uh, so uh, that objection that Jesus engineered his life to fulfill prophecy really doesn't hold water. The second objection is that, that Jesus just happened to fulfill prophecies by coincidence, by chance. Uh, he was the one person who, who uh, just, it just happened that all 61 prophecies uh, were, were fulfilled in his life. It just happened by chance. Well, someone had to do some calculations, a uh, person good in statistics, uh, who, who said that such a chance is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly small. Uh, in his book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner writes that the chance for one man to accidentally fulfill even just eight of the prophecies, not all 61, but just eight of them, the chance of one person accidentally fulfilling eight of the prophecies about the Messiah is one times 10 to the 17th power. So that's a one followed by 17 zeros, okay? One chance in, 
and 1 times 10 to the 17th. Well, that sounds like a really big number, but I can't figure out what, what that number is like. So he gives this illustration. He suggests that this chance is like taking the, the state of Texas and covering the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. It would be nice to have, have uh, all those silver dollars, wouldn't it? Two feet deep, the whole state of Texas covered in silver dollars. And, and he said, you mark one silver dollar and you stir it down into Texas somewhere. And you blindfold a person and have them travel in Texas as far as they want to go. And they reach down and pick up one, and that's the marked one. That's, that's how big the, the probability is that one person could even feel, fulfill eight of those 61 prophe- uh, prophecies by, by chance. So we see that there is, there, there's just crushing, overwhelming evidence that Jesus really was the one that the Old Testament points to, the Messiah the one that all 61 prophecies pointed to. Jesus is what God had in mind. Jesus was God's plan. And, and, and what God was saying, I have a plan of salvation for you and you and you and you, for the whole world that will crush the head of Satan and utterly defeat him. That plan involves the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, Savior, Deliverer, Prophet, King, I don't know if you have ever read, read the Bible and you get to the end of the Old Testament. What's the last, last book of the Old Testament? Last book of the Old Testament. Malachi. And then you, you, know, you sort of turn a page over and you're in Matthew. And you wonder, was there any time between Malachi and Matthew? Was there any time between the Old and New Testaments? And you realize, yeah, as you read about it, there was quite a, quite a long time between the Old and New Testament. It was like 400 years of, some, some writers call it the 400 years of, of silence. People debate, what was God doing in those 400 years? Did he go on vacation? What was, what was God doing? In, in those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I want to contend that God kept doing what he had been doing, bringing about his plan of salvation, preparing for the birth of the Messiah. I don't know if you've ever experienced a season of, of quiet in your life, and you wonder... Is God still there? Is he still hearing my voice? Is he still hearing my prayers? You wonder, I'm in this period of quiet, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm hearing from God right now. You know, I'm not seeing gigantic supernatural miracles, and there's not, not this big dramatic thing happening. In fact, I'm not sure I'm hearing much from God right now. And you're in a time of quiet. There's one last story. I want to finish with here. This is way back in, in the Old Testament again. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's, it's the story of Elijah, Elijah, the first one. Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19, and the quiet voice of God. And, and I have to set up the, uh, the, the setting for this, for this story. This is uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. This is where uh, Elijah had just had this 
this amazing encounter with God on Mount Carmel. And, and all of Israel had been invited to this, this big ceremony, this big occasion. And, and there was a contest to prove once and for all, who's the real God? Is it, is it the, the, uh, uh, the God of Elijah, the, the God of, of uh, the Old Testament, or is, it, or is it the idol worshipers? Is it Baal, the, the idol? And, and uh, lots of people were worshiping the idol Baal, and, and a few people were worshiping God. And so finally, Elijah said, enough, let's have a contest and find out for once and for all who the real God is. And they, they all meet together in Mount Carmel, and they, they have this uh, thing where they each uh, you know, build altars and sacrifice animals. And, and the prophets of Baal, you know, the, the, the uh, plan was that whoever... Who's ever God sends down fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice, that's the real God. And so the prophets of Baal start out and they, they pray to their God and they cry out to their God and they cut themselves and they do all kinds of wild, crazy, weird things, calling out to their God and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. And then finally, you know, it's getting to the end of the day and, and Elijah said, okay, you've had your chance now. Let's see what, uh, what happens over here. So he built up and altar to God, and he sacrificed an animal, and then he uh, had uh, the servants bring lots of water, and they, they just doused the, the sacrifice and the altar and everything with tons and tons of water, and, and, uh, and then Elijah simply prays to God. He put altar on, uh, water on it to make sure people knew it wasn't a trick, that uh, you know, he wasn't somehow had someone hidden inside lighting it with a match or something like that. So anyway, uh, Elijah prays to God, and, and Elijah said, God, would you, in my words, God, would you prove yourself as the one true God of Israel? And as Elijah prays, the Bible says, fire comes down from heaven dramatically and burns up not just the animal on the altar, but burns up the stones of the altar, burns up the water, burns up the dust, burns up until there's like a, I think, what I would have seen was a gaping hole in the ground. There was nothing left. Fire comes down from heaven, and God responds, and God answers. And all the nation of Israel realizes, we ought to be worshiping that God, not that one. So there's this amazing victory that, that Elijah wins for God on Mount Carmel. The next day, Elijah gets the news that wicked Queen Jezebel had put a price on Elijah's head. It says to Elijah, you're going to be dead today because of what you did. And Elijah runs away in fear. After that great victory, Elijah runs away. And 1 Kings chapter 19, I'll just read it very quickly to you. 1 Kings chapter 19 says, He came, Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, and he said to him, God said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very zealous, very jealous for the, the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I only am left, they seek my life to take it away. And God said to him, go and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Sounds like something he just heard before. And he gives the same answer. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. And they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your orders. They've killed your prophets. And I'm the only one left, and they, they want to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you're going to anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. And you're going to anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. And you're going to anoint Elisha to be prophet in your place. And God assures Elijah at the end that there were, he wasn't alone. There were over 7,000 believers in God in the nation of Israel at that time. I want you to notice something. Even in times of quiet, when you're not sure that God is there, when you're not sure that God's hearing, when you're not sure that God is speaking, God has next steps for you. And that God has not deserted you. You're not alone. Elijah learned that sometimes God's voice and power and presence is just a quiet whisper. Yeah, we love the loud, we love the demonstrations, we love the noise, we love the wind. But sometimes the presence of God is just a quiet whisper. Elijah learned he was not alone, that God was still with him. And that other godly people were still there. And Elijah learned that God wasn't finished. God had a plan. God had next steps for Elijah to move into. God had kings for Elijah to anoint. And so Elijah was going to touch the nations because of God's plan. God had next steps for Elijah to move into. So I don't know about you. Maybe you're in that, in that quiet place this morning not hearing God's voice or seeing his dramatic power like before. I want you to know this morning that God is still with you. He hasn't left you, hasn't deserted you. Mark, if you and your team would like to come. Know that God is still with you. Know that God is still at work in you and in your world. Know that God always has a next step for you. And that God is leading you on into next steps. And, and know that because God is, I am. He exists. He's there. He's there. He hasn't left you. He hasn't deserted you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's there. He's there with you. And he has good plans. His good plan is moving ahead. His good plan is moving ahead from, from the Old Testament times up to today into the future. God's plan is moving ahead and Satan doing whatever he can to stop it is not going to succeed because God's plans are always moving ahead. And so he invites you to come to himself this morning. He invites you to encounter him. He invites you to befriend him and he invites you to receive his love. He invites you to tomorrow 
this week, each day this week, invites you to spend, spend some time with him. We learn that God's plan involves the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. He's our prophet. He's our deliverer. He's our, he's our savior. He's our king. But personally for you, he can be your savior. He can be your deliverer. He can be your prophet. He can be your king. I've asked the worship team to come, and I'd like you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship with that, that last song we finished with in worship this morning. And I'd like you to make this a, a just a declaration to God this morning. And we're going to have prayer ministers coming, and, and we'll invite you to, to come forward with your prayer requests, uh, uh, a call for, for healing this morning. But I'd just like you to make this a, a time of, of declaring yourself, rededicating your life dedicating your life to God and to his service this morning. Let's worship together. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. Before I told
Could learn it, I don't deserve it. Still, you 
give yourself away all the overwhelming never-ending reckless love of God Lord this morning we respond to your love Lord this morning we respond to your great plan of love for us this morning. Lord, our hearts are full of love and worship for you because of your great love and plan of redemption for us. So Lord, we pour it back. We lavish it back on you this morning. Lord, this, this week, Lord, we worship you. We honor you. We respond to you. We choose to grow deeper in relationships with you this week. that choice to, to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We'd love to pray with you this morning. If you're not sure you ever did that, just, just come up and have someone pray with you. And let, let's make, make sure this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you that we can be in your presence. The altar is going to be open here. If you just like to come and kneel and spend some time in God's presence, have his love be poured out into you just like to invite you to come and just just kneel before God and, and spend time with him or have someone pray with you so uh, we're here to to pray with you the altar's open if you just like to come and uh, spend some time in God's presence we invite you as well God bless you thanks for coming today you're dismissed otherwise uh, so so come forward if you'd like like prayer otherwise you you're dismissed